Matthew chapter 5, we are continuing our series on the Beatitudes this morning, and uh, we're starting to wind them down. There's actually only this one and two more uh, to, to finish this series up, and I really pray that the Lord has used it uh, in your life. And the reason why we've been looking at the Beatitudes is because I believe that God desires for His children, for His church, to be happy people. The only problem is we tend to look for happiness in everything except that which can give us true happiness. And Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples in the Beatitudes, he is teaching them the foundations for true happiness, a happiness that, that you can have that's an inner peace that comes from a settled spirit that, that doesn't need circumstances in order for you to feel that way. And, and the way we've been, and every one of these, if you'll remember, they're upside down from what the world would say. So the world would say, this is how you be happy. And then here's Jesus comes and says, no, this is is how you are truly happy. And I want you to remember, these are all guarantees. There's not one of these characteristics that we look at that are possibilities. They're guarantees. He said, blessed are, and then he gives us what they are. Now, if you haven't been with us, some of you might look at that and say, well, he's talking about being blessed. How does that have anything to do with being happy? Well, if you haven't been here, uh, the first thing you need to understand is the word blessed in the Greek literally means happy. And it was really only used in that day and age to describe a happiness of the gods of the day because it was believed that only gods could be happy in spite of or despite their circumstances, that they were not in any way, shape, or form in need of circumstances to go their way in order to be happy because they're gods. And then that's what the people thought. And then here Jesus is saying, no, you don't have to be a god to be happy in spite of circumstances. Here is how you can be happy, truly happy in spite of your circumstances. So we've looked at several of them, and we're going to continue this morning in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles open with me, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 8. The Word of God says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated... His disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we begin to examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase. And Father, I pray today that the words will be shared this morning would be yours and not mine, that, Father, you would use them to impact our hearts and our lives. You know each of us in this room. You know where we are in our relationship with you. You know what we are in need of this morning, and I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and lives to meet us at our point of need for your glory and for your honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the way we've looked at each and every one of these Beatitudes is pretty simple format. We've first looked at the characteristic that Jesus says is blessed, and then we've looked at maybe an example or two from Scripture uh, to give us a picture of what that looks like. And then the last thing is we look at the, at the cause or the reason why this person is blessed because that's the way Jesus writes them. He, he gives us a characteristic that's blessed or happy, and then he tells us why they're happy. 
why they are happy in spite of the circumstances around them. And we're going to follow that again today. So the first thing that we need to see this morning is the characteristic found in verse 8, and that is to be pure in heart. Jesus said those who are truly happy, that are happy at the core of their being, uh, without any need of their circumstances going their way, they're, they're pure in heart. The pure in heart are happy. Well, well, what does that mean? I want you to note with me this morning four specific things about this characteristic. The first one is you need to understand what it means to be pure. You need to understand what Jesus meant when he says pure in heart. The Greek word for pure that's translated here literally means clean, pure, unmixed, blameless, without hypocrisy, unstained, um, without having any contamination within it. It is completely and totally pure. That's what he means here. And it was used in, in this day and age, in the, in the time of Christ, to describe three different aspects of purity. It was used to describe physical purity. Uh, physical purity as in uh, being purified by fire, which is what we do to precious metals in order to get the impurities out to make them more valuable. Okay, so if you go and you find gold somewhere, it's, it's valuable. But if you put it in the refiner's fire and the impurities are taken out, it becomes more pure and it becomes more valuable. And so it was a word that was used to describe the purity or physical purity of a precious metal. Or it could be physical purity as in uh, like vi uh, pruning a vine. Um, that, that in order to be uh, fitted to bear better fruit, that you would take the vine and you would prune it in order to get better fruit from it, and, and that it was used in that manner. So it was used to describe physical purity, something that was physically done to, to make something more pure. It was used to, to describe spiritual pur purity as well. Spiritual purity as in someone who is clean, someone who is, uh, has no uncleanliness in them, they are without hypocrisy in their spirit. Uh, I'll, I'll just take a little sidestep right here and say this is one aspect of purity that is desperately needed in our churches today. Because we have people, and, and I've been guilty of this myself, who bless God with their mouth and also have a tendency to do things with their mouth that are not blessings to God that they do with other people. Being spiritually pure is one who's without hypocrisy. They are clean spiritually. And then it was used to describe in a third way, ethical purity. Someone who had ethical purity. They were uh, free from the corrupt desire of sin and guilt, uh, free from every mixture of that which is false. They were genuine in their ethics. Uh, they were blameless, innocent uh, people, uh, unstained from the guilt of anything because they, they were clean in their ethics. And so when Jesus used this word, he's describing that which is completely pure, and it was used in three ways, physically, spiritually, and ethically. So which one is Jesus talking about? Which aspect of that is Jesus talking about? If, if it was used to describe all three at different aspects, which one is he talking about? Is he talking about being physically pure? Blessed are those who are physically pure in heart, or is he talking about those who are spiritually pure in heart, or those who are ethically pure in heart? Which one is he talking about? In order for us to answer that, I want you to see the second aspect of this characteristic, and that's where he says the place of the purity is. Look at what he says. Blessed are the pure in heart. In heart. Okay? 
Now, in Jesus, when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, when we understand this, we will, I think, understand which aspect of purity he is emphasizing. In Scripture, the word heart, it, it means the center of man's personality, okay? It, it, it is used in reference to man's intellect, to their, to their knowledge. It's used in, in relation to their will, uh, their desire to live, their desire to do things, or it also is used in relation to their emotions. Let me give you some examples of that. In Mark chapter 2, verse 8, uh, the scribes, it says, reasoned in their heart why Jesus would say he could forgive sins. Okay? So when they use the word heart in Mark 2, 8, it's talking about their intellect. They reasoned in their heart, talking about their intellect, why Jesus would say he could forgive sins, because that was considered... Um, heresy. You couldn't say that. Only God could forgive sins. And then in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, Daniel decided he wouldn't eat of the, 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 uh, the choice food of the king. He made a choice in his heart not to eat of the choice food of the king. That describes the will. He decided as a part of his will, I'm not going to do something. And then in John 14, 1, when Jesus told his followers not to let, quote, their hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Remember, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Okay, and so what he's talking about there is he's telling them not to let their heart be troubled. He's talking about their emotions. Don't be distraught. Don't be upset. Don't be discouraged. That's what he's talking about. And so you will see a use for the heart in all three of those manners. And so when Jesus says uh, that blessed is the one who's pure at heart, he's talking about one who is pure at the core of their being, in their intellect, in their will, and in their emotions. So which aspect does that fit? Spiritual, physical, emotional? It fits all of those. It's all of it. What Jesus is telling us is that the pure in heart are pure in every aspect of their lives. Their minds, intellect, their actions, their will, and their emotions. They are pure at heart, at the core of who they are. That's who Jesus is talking about, and so that is all three. It's physical. It would also be spiritual, and it would also be ethical or emotional. Okay, now the third aspect about this characteristic I want you to see is a picture. What does this look like? What does it look like for someone to be pure in heart the way Jesus is describing here? Okay, well, there are two different examples that I want to give you um, that are exhibited in the one who is pure in heart. First of all, someone who is pure in heart the way Jesus said, they're pure at the core of their being. It comes out in both their intellect, their mind, and also in their emotions is someone who is free from corruption. They're free from corruption. It means, to, again, to be clean, to be without blemish, and these are free from corruption. They're free from the stain of evil. They are both righteous and holy people. The pure in heart are righteous and holy people. They are the literal people that Peter tells us about in 1 Peter 1.15, that we are to be holy just as our Father in heaven is holy. The pure in heart are holy and righteous people. They are clean 
morally, ethically, and intellectually. So someone who is pure in heart is free from the corruption of sin in their minds, in their actions, and in their emotions. But the second picture of someone who's pure in heart that way is someone who has a mind or a heart that is fixed on Jesus. Their mind and heart is fixed on Jesus. Remember the definition, the the pure in heart is also to be without hypocrisy, which means to be single-minded. To be without hypocrisy means you are single-minded. To have unmixed motives or unmixed desires. So the pure in heart are someone who has Without hypocrisy, therefore, they have a single mind, they are unmixed in their emotions, and therefore, they are continually focused on Christ. Now, why is that important? Because a divided heart, a heart that is full of hypocrisy, leads to an unstable life. Listen to what James has to say about that. He says in James James chapter 1, verse 8, being double-minded man unstable in all of his ways. An unstable man in all of his ways. You see, to be pure in heart, our foremost desire must be to please the Lord and to follow him, and nothing must be allowed to interfere with that fulfillment of that desire. We are single-minded with one purpose, to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Why? Because he is the greatest example of being pure in heart there is, and we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But that's what it means to uh, to, to be pure at heart. It means to be free from corruption and fixed on Christ. Listen to a few other verses to kind of maybe bring that out a little more. Listen to Luke chapter 16, verse 13. It says, No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Okay? Now listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 21. Paul says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And so someone who is pure in heart is without hypocrisy. They are totally sold out and focused on Jesus Christ. That is someone who is pure in heart. Well, how does that happen? Because to be pure in heart means to be without hypocrisy, to be clean, to be unblemished, to be unmixed, to without any hypocrisy whatsoever. I don't know about you, but if I start talking about that the way I have this morning, it's real easy to write that off and go, okay, here's one beatitude that I don't fit. Because if we were all honest with ourselves, none of us are without blemish. None of us are completely without hypocrisy. None of us are completely clean in our hearts, whether or not it's in our intellect, whether or not it's in our actions, whether or not it's in our emotions. There's no, not one person here, I'm sorry to bust your bubble this morning, but there's not one person here that's completely pure in that aspect. So how does it happen? How does someone get to be pure in heart? Because Jesus said they're blessed, so it's obviously possible. So how does one get to that point? Well, I think there are two ways, and it's the last part of this characteristic I want to get to this morning, and it's called the process of purity, a process. And there are two processes that are essential to becoming pure in heart. The first one is it's a spiritual process that starts at salvation. It's a spiritual process that starts at salvation. The initial cleansing, 
of the heart takes place at the time of salvation. Listen to Acts chapter 15, verse 9. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. Listen, cleansing their heart by faith. Cleansing their heart by faith. There is no way anyone can become pure in heart apart from the work of God that takes place when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There's nothing you and I can do to cleanse our heart apart from being saved. You can never do enough good to be pure at heart. You can never do enough righteous deeds and be pure at heart. You can never clean yourself and be pure at heart. Think of it like this. If you, if you are uh, someone that has heart trouble and you need heart procedure, you have to go to someone to operate because you can't do it yourself. Like you can be the greatest cardiovascular surgeon there is on the face of the planet, but you can't operate on your own heart. You can't fix your own heart. And spiritually, you and I cannot purify our heart ourselves. The only way for you and I to become pure is to be saved. It's, it's, our hearts are desperately wicked, and our only hope is salvation. And in salvation, here's what God does. God takes our sin that corrupts our heart. He puts it on Christ on the cross. Then he takes the righteousness, the holiness, the cleansing of Jesus's heart, the purity of Jesus's heart, and then he applies that righteousness to us, and he cleanses our heart by the blood of Christ through our faith in Jesus. That's what happens. And until that happens in your life, you will never be pure at heart. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, meaning there's never been a time in your life where you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, You'll never be able to be pure at heart because the only way to be pure at heart is spiritually. It's a spiritual process that comes at salvation. Okay? And so you don't get a clean, pure heart without salvation. But then there's a second process, and that's what I call a daily process. Now, if you want to get into theological terms, you could call it the theology of sanctification. It's the idea of becoming more like Jesus every day. It's the idea. That, that when you're saved, you're a babe in Christ, that you should grow just as a babe grows to be a child, then a child grows to be an adolescent or a teenager, and then a teenager grows into a young man, and then a young man grows into a mature man. That's what happens to the physical body. That's what happens to the physical life. That's what's supposed to happen to the spiritual life. We're babes in Christ, and then we grow until we reach what Paul would say to Timothy, full maturity in Christ. That's a daily, ongoing process. And it's a daily process in which you and I come to terms with the fact that we are still not perfect. We still have blemishes in our life that need to be confessed and repented of every single day. Every day. One of, and I've preached this verse, I've talked about it over and over and over again. But if you don't have 1 John 1, 9 memorized, you need to memorize 1 John 1, 9. 
Because 1 John 1.9 is too often used in evangelism for lost people. But 1 John 1.9 is written to believers. For if we confess our sin, if we confess our sin, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise to Christians. That our, our sin as a whole was put on Christ on the cross. We've been forgiven. Our salvation is intact. That's not an issue. But our daily walk with God is hindered through unconfessed sin. Our relationship with God is not where it needs to be through unconfessed sin. And you don't grow closer to God when you still have unconfessed sin in your life. And so it's a daily, ongoing, spiritual process of being sanctified, of being set apart, of becoming more and more like Jesus. So that's the characteristic that Jesus says is blessed. Now, let me give you a few examples of what, what this looks like practically, and I want to get through them real quick, so I'm not going to spend too much time on them. But there are biblical examples of people whose hearts were cleansed by God in this manner. Okay, now I could easily show you New Testament examples. Paul is a great example. Okay, we know Paul, before Paul, he was Saul. And we know that Saul persecuted the church. We know that Saul was present at the first martyr uh, being killed for Christ, Stephen. We know he held the jacket, encouraged the people who stoned Stephen to do what they were doing. Yet Saul goes from being a persecutor of the church, persecutor, actually what Jesus said, a persecutor of Christ, to becoming an apostle appointed to the Gentiles to take the gospel to them. He wrote the majority of the New Testament because his heart was cleansed. So there's all kinds of New Testament examples of that. If you're in this room and you're a believer in Christ who's repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, then you are an example of a heart that's been cleansed. But there's also some Old Testament examples like Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, he says in his vision in the uh, year of whatever king it was, uh, in the sixth year of Nebuchadnezzar, I think, uh, or Josiah, I saw the Lord. And then you read the rest of that story, and in, in verse 7, it talks about how he said, He was, woe is me, for I'm a man of, I'm undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm in the presence of holy God, and I'm wor not worthy to be here. Woe is me. And there's a, a scene there that's very symbolic, and it's where this angel takes one of the coals from the burning fire, and he touches it to the lips of Isaiah, and it specifically says, cleansing his heart. Cleansing his heart. So Isaiah was cleansed. David, after his sin with Bathsheba, you read his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. And his heart was cleansed to the point that in Acts chapter uh, 13, we're told that David was considered a man after God's own heart. So he was cleansed. And then there's the greatest example, which is not in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, and that's Jesus. Jesus, it was and is completely perfect, completely pure, completely clean, completely unmixed, completely without hypocrisy, and he is complete in his fixation on following the will of God in his life. How do I know? Because the night he was arrested, he was in the garden and he was praying, and he said, God, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. 
So we have these examples of people who have lived pure of heart, purity of heart lives. Now, the last thing I want to share with you this morning is the cause. Why are they so happy? Why is someone who's been cleansed through salvation and then stays cleansed daily through the process of sanctification, of repenting of their sins every day, keeping their walk with God vibrant and clean, why is someone like that blessed? Well, look at what he says. Look back at verse 8. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. You know, there was a, an atheist one day, and he was out spending the day quiet. And he was fishing, and, and, and suddenly his, his boat was attacked by the Loch Ness Monster. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But his boat was attacked by the Loch Ness Monster, and his, his boat was knocked way up in the air. He was knocked about 30 feet up in the air, and he's headed down, and the Loch Ness Monster has his mouth wide open, ready to receive his meal for the day. And all of a sudden, this atheist cried out, God, God, help me, help me. And all of a sudden, just time stopped. And he's just in the air, hovering, and this voice from heaven said, I thought you didn't believe in me. And he said, good Lord, God, give me a break. A few seconds ago, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster either. Sometimes we, we view God as um, more of a fictional character than a real being who can be seen. The, this, this fixation, people want to see God in our world, they say, but half or more of the world doesn't want to do what God says has to happen in order to see God. But the pure in heart will see God. That's a promise. That's why we are happy, because we get to see God. Now, there are two ways, and I'll close with this. There are two ways the pure in heart will see God. Number one, you're going to see God presently. What I mean by that is the pure in heart are the ones that see God when he's working. They see when God is doing something. They see God when someone gets saved. They realize that's a work of God, that no one can just come to Christ on their own. They see God as he's moving in the lives of people, directing their lives and directing circumstances of their life. They see how God works and moves every day. The pure in heart see God when he's moving. Have you ever saw God move and then try to explain it to someone who has not the promise of seeing God? What I mean by that, have you ever tried to explain God moving in your life to someone who doesn't have God in their life? They look at you like you're crazy. And there's a reason. They don't see God. They can't see God presently because they are not pure in heart. Only believers in Christ are pure in heart, and the pure in heart see God when he moves. So there's a present way that we see God move, but then there is an eternal way that we'll see God there's an incredible promise to those who are pure in heart that we're going to see God for all eternity. Listen to Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. 
And then one of the verses that we read so often at a funeral, uh, Psalm chapter 23 ends in verse 6. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All the pure in heart, those who are pure in heart, are going to see God face to face. What an amazing day that's going to be for the pure in heart. What an amazing day that's going to be when your faith becomes sight. When you step from this earth into, in this physical realm, into the eternal realm, face to face with God who did everything for you in order for you to be there. You know, people have often said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this, this, and this, and this. I'm going to ask God who shot JFK, or, or were UFOs real? I, you know, we're going to ask God all this stuff. I think all we're going to do is fall down at his feet and worship him for what he did. And only the pure in heart have that promise. But see, there's another promise. Those who aren't pure in heart, you're going to see God too. But not in this context. The context in which you see God is found in the book of Revelation when all the dead will be resurrected, all of them. And you'll stand before what's known as the great white throne judgment. And all the books will be opened, and that books is plural because there's several books, including the book of life. And you're going to be judged by your works. But then they're going to look and see if your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. And if it's not, you're going to be cast out of the presence of God. You'll see God too, but it won't be a glorious thing. It'll be for judgment. Matter of fact, the Bible says this, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. The pure in heart only have one thing to look forward to, and that's to be crowned, and then to turn around and place that crown at the feet of God for what he did. The promise of seeing God face to face for all eternity, that's what we get, but the unrighteous, those who are not pure in heart, you're going to see God too. But it won't be a positive thing. It'll be when you're about to be separated from him all eternity so if you're here this morning you need to ask yourself am I pure at heart has there ever been a time in your life where you've allowed God to purify your heart you see you and I we, we need heart surgery spiritually because we're all corrupted every single one of us there's nobody in this room that's not corrupted our hearts are corrupted we need heart surgery but you can't surgery you can't do it yourself and, and I'm sorry guys I can't do it for you either I can't. Brother Justin, he can't do it for you. Brother Chuck, our deacons, Bob, he can't do it for you. The only person that can cleanse your heart is Christ, and the only way he cleanses it when you come to him in repentance and faith. And if you'll do that, then you have this great promise that makes us happy because we know we are going to see God face to face.